Let us turn now, turn to our scriptures, Zechariah, the chapter 9, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. And you'll find that on page 797. 797. It's one of those uh, shorter uh, books in the Bible, but still filled with plenty of information about the coming Christ. Zechariah chapter 9, and beginning with verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule from sea to sea, from river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, the blood of my covenant is with you. I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. So ends the reading of God's inspired word. Let us take our Bibles. Let us turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, which you'll find on page 826. And here the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, and tie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, You shall say to them, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloak, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the roads. And the crowd went before him and followed and were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and said, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Let us end our reading there. You know, as as we remember from the scriptures, you know, they had a certain amount that they were going to write and record. 
Well, one of the things that you find is that you find Palm Sunday is in every gospel that we have. If you want to write down where these passages are at, so in case you want to look at them afterwards, it's Matthew 21, verses 1 through 46, like Mark 11, Mark 11, verses 1 through 12, or maybe even chapter 12 to 12. You also have it in Luke chapter 19 verses 28 through 40 and then also John 12 12 through 22. But you know what is interesting that when you look at these different passages one of the things that you find is that when this whole event happened the disciples didn't always completely understand the ramifications of it. And the reason why I say that is that you go to John chapter 12 verse 16 it says his disciples did not understand these things at first but when Jesus was glorified they remembered these things that had been written about him and that had been done to him. And so we remember Palm Sunday because one of the reasons I think we should is because all the Gospels remember it. They remember this event in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our connection to these events is that we partake in His anointing. We are called Christians because we partake in His anointing. And so He enters... And the response of the way people will respond to him is the same way that they responded to the me- our message about Jesus. You know, some of the children here probably watched Aladdin. Maybe some even in the adults, right? Again and again. And what you have there is you have Aladdin coming and he's, you know, having all these people announce him and everything else and bow the knee and all this stuff. But they had to announce it because people wouldn't know. Well, you know, the good Lord, He basically made sure that people knew that He had a king coming. And so He announced it again and again all the way through the Scriptures. And they gave different prophecies about this coming. But when our king comes, He does not come with pomp and celebration like one who is a great rich king but he comes humbly he comes humbly even though he's announced beforehand he comes by the divine plan of God he also comes humbly and then also the reaction however of his coming divides people and we'll look a little bit about that Your king comes according to the divine plan of God. Many prophecies predict the coming of the king. We have the first one in Genesis chapter 49 verse 10 where it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And so one of the things that you have here is that Jesus had to be from the tribe of Judah so that he might fulfill that scripture. Deuteronomy 17 speaks about that Israel is allowed to have a king. But that king could not just do whatever he wanted. No, there was restrictions on him. 
In part, he wasn't to acquire horses, lots of gold, many wives. And he should have a copy of the Law of Moses so he might follow it. You see, even the king was under God's authority. And then you have David crowned king. But David also predicts the coming king. And yet down the road what happens is that the, you know, they, they, the sin of Israel continues. So much so that God removes them from the land. And the people are devastated because no longer do they have a Davidic king on the throne of David. And so they start to ask questions. And yet God continues to promise them. Like in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 24. It says, My servant David shall be king over them. And they shall have all one shepherd. And they shall walk in my rules. And careful to obey my statutes. <coughs> then you have Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. Predicts the coming of the coming king. They're in Babylon. And then he says, after 70 weeks, it says, or after 70 years, 77s are declared for your people. God speaks to them about a coming kingdom. And then he goes further into Daniel and says, look, from the time there's going to be the Babylonian king, and then there's going to be the Medes and the Persian, and then you're going to have the Greeks, and then you're going to have the Romans, and so they were keeping track of this. And so when the time the Romans were there, they were looking for that king. And that's the reason why you had this instruction going on. In fact, they also had it that Jesus went and just taught them about the coming kingdom. Why? Because they misunderstood the nature of it. Isaiah goes on and records for us that when that kingdom comes, He will bring an end to all these kingdoms in it, but His kingdom will continue to stand. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. <coughs> the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. And on the throne of David, over his kingdom, it shall be established and uphold with justice and righteousness. The zeal of the Lord will do this. So you had these announcements of this coming king. But yet, Matthew brings us back to one passage even more. He says in Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, your daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, having salvation humble and mounted on a donkey, the coal of a donkey, the fowl of a donkey. You know, and that's because of that we realized that Jesus was coming. And they knew that. But they missed that coming in a certain sense. Even though they had done these things to Him, they missed it. But you see... God gave them promises of a coming kingdom. And we have promises of a coming kingdom. And what we need to do, since we partake in Christ's anointing, we need to make it known of the second coming of Christ, especially during this time when you have all kinds of wars and difficulties, that Christ is coming again and He will stop the foolishness in this world. 
And so we have that same type of promise like they did of a coming king. We have the coming king who is coming again. And yet your king comes to you humbly. It says Jesus came in Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey to fulfill scriptures as the Messiah. Now, sometimes I come across people who question, well, a colt, isn't that a... Isn't that a male horse? No, it's not a male horse. It's an old English word that basically would be used for a variety of different um, terms, but basically it referred to a young male type of horse. But yet the scripture makes it clear what it is. It's a it's humble, mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the fowl of a donkey. In other words, the son of a donkey, one who comes from a donkey. You know, Matthew Henry points out, you know, that horses were oftentimes kept for like the kings and like those who were riding into war because they were bigger and they were stronger and faster. And Christ could have had, you know, cherub to bring him in because it says in the scriptures, you know, like in Psalm 18, it says, He rode on a cherub and flew. So Jesus, our Emmanuel, could have came that way, but He didn't. He came on a donkey, and not only did He come on a donkey, but He had to borrow it. He was so poor, He didn't even own Him. You would think that the King of the King of Israel, the King who had basically had created them, could have had something more than that, but no, it was a donkey, and it was borrowed. So that he might be in he he even though he was rich in all the ways he became poor so that you might share in his riches of his righteousness and his holiness. Jesus is both God and man, and as a man he needed something, but yet as God he could have immediately created a horse there, but he did not. He borrowed it to fulfill scripture. Now one of the things I've come across as I've studied this is that you look at the back of a donkey every donkey has this they have a cross on their back now I don't know why if that has always been that way perhaps it was even in Jesus day but there was a cross on that there's a cross there on a donkey you know the Western Australian Donkey Society says even if you shave their fur you'll find a cross under their skin even though you don't see it on the fur sometimes. But if that was the case, if Jesus actually was riding this donkey and, and donkeys hadn't changed since then, they put these cloaks on, his, on, the, on the donkey and he rode it. And so as he's walking in and receiving all this praise, Hosanna, save us Christ, save us! Anytime that donkey stumbles a little bit and he looks down a little bit, he's seeing a cross. Because the way that we're going to have salvation, the way he's going to save us is by that cross. By dying upon the cross. The highest way to save his people was by the cross. He was coming as a triumphant king, but as a humble servant, fulfilling the passages of Isaiah 52 and 53, a servant riding on a borrowed donkey in a colt. And Jesus says this, If you want to follow me, 
You're to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. So whoever shall save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what is the profit of man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, him the Son of Man shall be ashamed of in the glory of his Father in the holy angels. You see, since our union is with Christ and we are called Christians, we're also to die to sin. We're to die to ourselves. We're to follow Him. We're not to be the God in our own life. His standards is to be our standards. So we're to do away with our pride and our self-assurance. And we're to come humbly. And not only are we to come humbly, but when we go to others, we're to come to others to come to them humbly and tell them that there is a King who is coming again and this is Jesus Christ. You see, that's how we are united with that whole message of Christ coming into Jerusalem that we are to be like Him, being humble and telling others about Christ and about the cross. And yet, not only do we have the King coming according to the divine plan of God and that the King comes humbly riding on a, on a donkey, but the king also comes and he divides people. You know, there's three groups here. Three groups of people when Jesus comes in. You know, the first group that comes, we have those who are against Jesus. We have another group that is for Jesus and a third group that's going, what's going on? And you know, today, that's pretty much what we have today. People are either for Jesus or against Jesus or just uninformed. They just don't know. But the first one is praising Jesus. They know who Jesus is. You know, where did this crowd come from? Well, from the Gospels we understand this crowd came from Him healing or raising Lazarus from the dead. So all of a sudden everybody wants to see Lazarus and they want to see Jesus because of this great event. And because of this great event, they are praising Him. And people are flocking to see Jesus and they want to see Lazarus and they want to see how this all happened. And you know, something when we come to Christ and when we believe in Him, people say, well, why do they follow? There's a transformation. We think differently in the world. And people wonder what in the world? And so there's a transformation of people that come from being dead in their transgressions and sins and now believing in Christ. In the meantime, not only do they come, but you know what people are doing at this time, they are cutting these branches down and they're putting it down. Why? Because they're given a path, a road for the, the king to walk on. That's all they had, so they praised Him with all kinds of ways. And that's what we do today. We praise Jesus, whether it's whistling or whether it's singing a song or whether it's writing a piece of music or, or doing something. We all seem to want to make that known about what Christ has done for us. And so we're partake of that whole thing of that Palm Sunday 
even today as we live our life. But you have another group that comes. The second group that was threatened by Christ. They were threatened by Christ because they were the rulers in the nation and they didn't want somebody else ruling in that nation. So they said, you know, let's deal with Christ. Let's kill Him and let's kill Lazarus because people are believing in Him. That's the result of what was going on. They were ready to do Him in. They didn't really care about the law or anything else or the miracles because what they considered more important was their own political power. And today, you know, the high priest would even say this, that it was better for one man to die for the nation so, that, so they planned to kill him. And the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things it says in Matthew chapter 21, verses 15 and 16. It says, When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David! They were indignant. That means they were mad. They were upset. And they said to him, Do you hear what these people are saying? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? And today you have that same type of thing happening and you have it in all kinds of situations. You even have it in, in maybe the place where you work at where they don't want you to talk about Christ at all. So we're restricted. We have to talk about Him off our work time. But it's the same type of thing. There's an opposition there. You see, not only is there people that love to hear our message, but there's also going to be an opposition. Just like they oppose Jesus on Palm Sunday, they're going to oppose us as we seek to make Him known. And yet you're going to have people come to you and ask, well, who is Jesus? And they want to know. Why? Because they're uninformed. Tell me about this God you follow. And although the unbelievers may plot and scheme to stop the church, God has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Even though we see all kinds of opposition coming because of our message about Christ, Sometimes we have to be careful on how we share that news, but yet, sooner or later, God points us to a way that we can make it known. And so we say in the Heidelberg Catechism, Your kingdom come, that is, govern us by Your Word and by Your Spirit. You see, because of the way we live and how we respond to things, people will want to know. There's always going to be some who don't understand and don't know, and that's the last group. They just don't know who Jesus is. They didn't grow up in the church. They didn't grow up, and we have the joy to tell them about Christ. And that your salvation is won for you by the blood of Christ. You know, as I was growing up and going to the university, I came across people that didn't even know about anything about Christ. I went to give the I was at the post office and went to give the uh, the postmaster, you know, the the book of the complete gospel. And she said, I never grew up with anything. Don't know anything about that. There are people in this society that don't know anything about Christ. They don't even know the Ten Commandments. They don't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New. 
they don't know how to deal with the law. And so we need to be in prayer about how to make Christ known to a world that does not know Him. You know, that's the way Jesus came in. He came in, people knew Him, and they praised Him. You have people in opposition to Him, but you have other people going, Who's this? What's this about? And may God bring to your path, and may it be your prayer that people would come to your path that would want to know who is Jesus so that you can tell them and invite them to church so that they may know the great and glorious message that we have so that others may say Hosanna to the son of David for he's coming again let us pray almighty and gracious father we're thankful to you that you've given these events four different ways we can read them and pick up more and more what was happening in those days And so, Lord, we ask as we ponder this Palm Sunday, as we look forward to the Good Friday, that it was good for us, but not so good for you. But it was good for you in the sense that you fulfilled Scripture. And yet, Lord, we look for that day, Easter Sunday, when we can rejoice and tell people that He's risen, that life does not end in just death, but there is a coming judgment and a coming resurrection for those who rejoice in Christ. Lord, help us to be diligent to tell others about Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, amen.